Hi, welcome back to another episode of Real World Serverless, a podcast where I speak with real world practitioners and get their stories from the trenches. Today, I'm joined by Christy Perrault. Hey, Christy, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. And uh, Christy, so I guess uh, allow me to be the first one to say uh, welcome to the Serverless Heroes program and uh, congratulations. Uh, it's quite an achievement for you to make it so quick. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm super excited to be part of the program. I was definitely uh, definitely surprised, but uh, super happy to be here. So um, you've been working with uh, Liberty Mutual for a while now, and the uh, last couple of years, uh, uh, you've been fully focused on serverless. And uh, for anyone who's uh, not familiar with uh, Liberty Mutual, uh, maybe we can, we can start by just uh, doing a quick introduction about who uh, Liberty Mutual is and uh, what is your role there? What do you do over there? Yeah, sure. So Liberty Mutual is an insurance company. Uh, you may have seen our, our many commercials with uh, the Limo Emu. Um, people ask me all the time to um, use the do the uh, Liberty jingle. Uh, I will not do that on this call. I'll save you all from that. <laughs> um, but we've been around for about um, almost 110 years now. So we're a pretty old company. Uh, we're also global. So we're in almost uh, 30 different countries uh, and economies uh, worldwide. Uh, I've been with the company for about five years now. Um, I actually started here right out of college. Um, I did my internship here. So um, I've been here a couple of years. I started kind of in the Java and microservices space um, and have since kind of transitioned into the serverless space. So kind of fell into it by accident. Um, I had a mentor kind of early on and he was like, hey, I think that you'd be really good in this. You'd really like it. You know, we've worked on some cloud formation templates before. Like we're starting up this serverless team. I think you should come over here and check it out. Um, so I've pretty much been with the serverless group uh, since the, the beginning of it uh, here at Liberty uh, when we formed a serverless DevOps team. Uh, so that's where I've been working for the last, I'd say two and a half years now. Um, and we basically exist to support our 5,000 or so engineers uh, to move to the cloud and to do so in a serverless first fashion. So, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, we want to try to solution and embrace the idea of serverless first before we start exploring um, other avenues and other paths, um, obviously with the cloud preference, um, and then kind of work your way down the chain from there. So. Uh, I do a number of different things, uh, everything from creating starter patterns or repos for folks to utilize. Uh, we're mostly an AWS shop, so we're focused really heavily on AWS CDK and SAM uh, and some folks still in CloudFormation templates as well. Um, but we do have a little bit of uh, other tools and technologies here and there. Serverless Frameworks, one of them. Uh, we have some folks on Terraform, but I would say most of our expertise is in the, the CDK space. So um, that's kind of where I've been working for the last couple of years. Yeah, I've met some of your colleagues uh, in the Dublin uh, a while back and I've spoken with uh, quite a few of them in the past. Uh, and of course, uh, Matt Coulter was uh, a guest of honor on the, uh, <laughs> the Avernus the keynote last year at reInvent. So uh, obviously, there's you know, quite a lot of um, the buzz around serverless and Liberty Mutual. And uh, from what I've gathered, pretty much every team is using it to some degree. So I'm really super interested to, to hear about your take on CDK, how you guys are using it. Uh, but maybe before we get into that, uh, because uh, when you know, we were speaking earlier, you talk about uh, the fact that you got a really small team. Your team of what four people uh, have to basically build tools to support the uh, five thousand developers in your uh, in Liberty Mutual. So obviously, that's quite an interesting challenge. That's going to come with that kind of um, ratio. So maybe we can go into some of the 
specific challenges that you, uh, you face? I guess off the top of my head, uh, straight away, you know, you've got this diverse set of uh, teams uh, working on different solutions and also sounds like they don't use the same tools, at least not 100%. So how does that translate to uh, impacts on your day-to-day job? Yeah, sure. So it is definitely a challenge. Um, you're right. There's only about four of us. And actually, our fourth team member is pretty new. Um, we've only had her around for about two months now. Um, so it was three before this. Um, so we, we are growing. Um, we're going in the right direction. Um, but it definitely is a challenge. I mean, you even think about logistical things like if somebody takes time off, it's very obvious that there's somebody missing. Um, and in my case, I do a lot of speaking and I, I like to chat and go to conferences and stuff. So that definitely takes its toll on the team as well. Uh, and as you mentioned, like we are we are pretty mature in the serverless space, definitely. Um, but there's definitely teams that aren't or are just starting their cloud journey and their serverless journey. Um, so we are covering like a really wide range of expertise, of knowledge, of skill set. Um, and that's one of the things that I speak to a lot when I when I go around to conferences and stuff is that's a huge gap for us, this this knowledge and trying to cover, you know, everybody that hasn't even heard of like AWS and CDK and some of those things, all the way up to folks that are excited as soon as a new announcement comes out at reInvent and wants us to implement it day one when we're back kind of thing. So it's definitely a, a unique challenge. Um, we rely a lot on cloud enablement architects in, in different areas of our organization to kind of help us along with some of those things. Uh, We do have quite a few, I would say, serverless evangelists within our Liberty Mutual community that kind of help with some of these things. But you're right, it's definitely a challenge. It's something that we're trying to work towards. And, you know, sometimes we have to look at our our groups as a whole and say, you know, what's going to benefit the majority. Um, And right now that's our focus on well-architected. Okay, so uh, when it comes to the well-architected uh, framework and I guess the, the review process, Amazon has uh, got this uh, console thing where you can answer a bunch of questions and they will suggest you some actions that you can take to make sure that you meet the, the various different uh, pillars inside the well-architected framework. Um, so what sort of things are you guys doing to sort of augment that and to basically apply that in your organization so that uh, I guess you have some kind of consistent way to apply this uh, review process to the different teams and I guess at the crucial points of their application development journey so that uh, they don't just you know spend six months working on something and only to realize at the end of the review that, uh, oh, wait, we shouldn't be doing that because that's not uh, good practice when it comes to security. Yep. So well-architected is definitely a a hot topic for us this year, for sure. We're starting to actually push reviews as something that's mandatory uh, that teams have to go through. Uh, And like I said, it is an interesting situation because we do have folks that have been developing on serverless for a couple of years now, and maybe they have been working towards uh, well-architected and they've been going through reviews on their own. Um, Maybe they haven't as much. Uh, And then you have folks that are new to serverless and new to all of this. um, So they're coming in with well-architected in mind. So you have a couple different kind of key users and user personas that we're looking at. But for us right now, we're finding that it's really difficult to go through a server, a um, well-architected review with all of the pillars uh, quickly. <laughs> so folks are taking you know, several hours to discuss one pillar um, and to go through all of their applications and take a look at it. Uh, and sometimes that's even just one or two apps and not their entire ecosystem. Uh, so we're really looking at that and saying, well, how can we cut this down so it's not a pain point for folks to go through and develop their applications in a well-architected manner? And some of what we're coming up with is kind of like a recommendation engine of sorts uh, to help consolidate 
all of our users and developers uh, applications and configuration data kind of in one spot so that they can see everything right there uh, and they're able to make informed decisions. Uh, we definitely don't want to automate the well-architected review process because we're finding that teams are having a lot of really meaningful discussions around well-architected and they're learning a lot. So we don't want to replace those conversations, but we still want to make sure that we're cutting down the time it takes to do all of these pillar reviews. Uh, and by consolidating some of their applications um, and all of their cloud resources into one space so that they can see everything um, and get some recommendations in terms of performance or cost enhancements or reliability, they can easily make those decisions uh, more quickly instead of kind of digging through all their accounts, all their environments, trying to find all their applications and infer from those uh, configurations. So um, that's kind of what we're focusing on right now. Uh, we're hoping to get some, this tool out in front of our developers this year so that they have a chance to go through this process. And they're not just relying on you know, the few architects that we have across our entire organization that are really well-versed and well-architected and have done these reviews, uh, because that's the other thing. We don't have a ton of subject matter experts that can go through and spend all this time with teams one-on-one, -on -one, as I mentioned, because we have 5,000 developers out there. Across multiple countries and time zones as well. Yeah. So that, I mean, that can't be easy. Um, yeah, globally, yep. <laughs> I guess, uh, I guess around the same topic of uh, best practices and how to ensure them. And I guess one of the ways I've seen companies do that is to kind of rather than leave it until the review process, you kind of bake into how you provision and create applications. Uh, and that, that's where I think uh, CDK can actually be quite powerful. I mean, my personal opinion of CDK is probably no, not that high. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not my favorite too, uh, but uh, definitely when it comes to talking with some of my uh, enterprise customers, I do see the, the value that CDK CDK brings that other frameworks probably just won't be able to provide easily in that you can create all these uh, pre-built constructs that uh, gets kind of mandated to the rest of the teams, but those constructs follows organizational best practices that, um, for example, you don't want to ever have a public uh, S3 buckets or, you know, your Lambda function need to have, uh, you know, uh, need to be inside a VPC and constraints like that, rather than having to review the code that somebody writes, you can just bake them into your construct so that uh, so long everyone is using the same constructs, then uh, you can apply best practices uh, ahead of time rather than try to review them later. Is that the reason why you guys are really big on CDK and why you know, most of what you guys are doing is uh, going through CDK? That's definitely a huge part of it, I would say. You know, you, you hit on a lot of those things that obviously a very large uh, insurance company is going to be secure, um, and we're going to want to do those things like VPC lambdas, uh, locking down endpoints. You know, we're, we're very concerned and conscious about um, authentication and authorization and security. We also, you know, and kind of along with that, we don't have console access for our developers. There's some read-only there, um, but we, we have to use infrastructure as code. Um, so the tool that comes up most frequently is CDK because we have a lot of developers that really prefer writing their constructs and their infrastructure in, in a coding language. So Python or um, TypeScript are probably two of our biggest ones. Definitely see some, some Java, a very small amount of Go, um, and some of those other languages that are a little more niche. Uh, so that's kind of a huge reason why I think CDK is, is a big um, tool that we use here. Uh, also, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we're huge on on AWS. So we have teams that are supporting Azure and GCP, but they're just not as as mature as we are in the AWS space. Um, so sticking to the AWS tools uh, tends to be something that that folks like. But yeah, building in the constructs, some of that well architected, some of those best practices, some of those security things definitely helps us out uh, a lot. 
Uh, and along those lines, you know, you mentioned uh, Matt Coulter speaking at reInvent, and a lot of what he talked about was kind of this sort of catalog of offerings and starter patterns that we use to get um, our developers started, you know, day one, it's really lowered the barrier to entry. Um, so we've created a lot of those starter patterns with things like CDK that have that authentication, those best practices, a lot of those things baked in and allows our community to create their own patterns and surface them within this catalog of offerings uh, so that all, all our developers can use that and they're not completely reinventing the wheel. So for instance, my team owns CDK Python and CDK TypeScript starter patterns. Uh, and I can tell you, we have had probably a couple thousand projects generated um, just from those starter patterns. So they're definitely being used. Folks are liking them. We're getting feedback on them that we continue to build off of and keep these patterns updated as well. Uh, and we're even talking about, you know, including a sort of well-architected badge or a check or a rating. You know, we have a rating system in a way, but um, to have a well-architected kind of check uh, would be something that we'd want to implement on some of these patterns so that folks know that they are good and, and go forward. And they're starting at the best kind of well-architected best practices right out of the box. And I think you mentioned there's something that uh, which I which I always thought is a bit of a, I guess a shortcoming of this approach of using a general purpose programming language that you have to kind of duplicate a lot of the work when you've got an organization that is not using that's not all using one language. So I think right there you mentioned that uh, you know, your team manages uh, Python and TypeScript, but then there's also other languages that are being used that are you know more niche or at least within your organization. So how do you go about making sure that there's consistency across uh, all the different languages um, that are being used and the starter pack that uh, uh, that are targeted at those languages uh, especially when you've got a small team to have to support these on top of everything else that you're doing we definitely rely on our serverless community quite a bit for that so we do have open you know slack and teams channels for serverless for aws ck for aws in general so we do encourage a lot of knowledge sharing in that aspect as well uh, again, we just tend to preference the majority. So we kind of see what bubbles up from the community and, and focus on that as our support and our enablement. Um, and that's been, you know, mostly Python and mostly TypeScript um, for AWS uh, CDK. But like I said, there are definitely folks out there using serverless framework, using Terraform, using some of those things. Uh, and our kind of response, just because we're such a small team and can't possibly help everyone, is you can definitely use those things. Um, check it out. Try it out. Let us know how it goes. But, you know, you're kind of on your own if you want to experiment with that and you want to try it out, like you rely on the community channels, knowledge share, you know, we're happy to help where we can, um, but we don't always have the, the time or the ability or the reach to do that. We're just finding that we have a lot of developers that really like like the coding languages um, and then, you know, CloudFormation templates, everything kind of sits down to that, too. So just having a basic understanding of that really helps. Um, and we do see folks that are using the, just those or, or a tool like SAM for YAML or uh, JSON configuration, because that's just what some teams prefer. So it's an interesting balance to be at because, you know, in, in the DevOps space, we don't want to force certain tools and tech onto the developers. I'd, I'd rather see them come to us with the things that they like and what they need help with and what they want support with and what they want enabled. Uh, and then we can kind of work from there and, and build our priority and our backlog back off of our, our user feedback from our developers. 
Okay, so instead of uh, forcing the implementation details on the developers, do you then instead just say, okay, to go into production, you need to have uh, X, Y, and Z. Uh, for example, your Lambda functions need to be inside of VPC. You, your S3 buckets have to be private. Uh, you know, you want to surface data. It has to be through a CloudFront distribution. And just say, you know what, you've, you know, you guys have to meet this criteria. How you want to do that is up to you. You know, if you want to use the CloudFormation, that's fine. But, you know, if you want to follow the, I guess, the golden path, this is the golden path that we provide for you as CDK constructs. Is that kind of the approach that you are using? Yeah, that's exactly it. And and kind of our way to, to check that is instead of looking at all your developer tools and folk and kind of forcing you into something is we're focused on the pipelines. So, you know, you have to deploy through our pipelines to be out in the cloud. So we're focusing on building out things like SPI tools to integrate with those pipelines and our CI CD process so that we can catch you and flag you if you aren't doing those things. So that's kind of what, what we tend to focus on more is, you know, we have a, a security process that goes through and does a number of checks. And if you're not passing those checks, we're not, we're going to prevent you from deploying. Uh, and then we'll point you to some documentation and say, hey, you know, you didn't add this IAM user or group or this permission, or, you know, it's it's not a VPC, but, you know, some of those things um, are caught within our, our pipeline process. So we focus more on managing those rules, managing um, those checks and balances kind of within our pipelines uh, so that the developer can use whatever tool they want and we'll provide some paths and some solutions out of the box for them that will pass those things if they choose to use those tools. If not, you're free to use whatever tool you want. You just got to make sure that you cover those checks um, that we document for you. Okay, got it. That makes absolutely sense. Uh, you know, provide guardrails instead of uh, you know being the gatekeepers, essentially. Exactly. Cool. Um, that yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and that's I think that's what a lot of good engineering organizations are doing. That's the approach that they're all taking as well, uh, which makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess um, I want to maybe switch gear a little bit. You know, like we mentioned, uh, you know, you were welcomed into the serverless the heroes uh, uh, community recently. I guess uh, maybe talk about uh, what's your impression of the program so far, and uh, what are you most looking forward to be able to do part of this community. Yeah, so uh, it has only been a week, so I don't have too much of, of, of first impressions quite yet. I'm just kind of getting my feet wet, coming off of the the high of the announcement and everything coming out there, which is which is cool to see. I love the support from from kind of everyone on on social media and everything. I've had a lot of folks reach out, so thank you to to everyone that's really welcomed me into this this new role and this new kind of position. Uh, I'm just super excited to keep on doing what I've been doing. Uh, I love talking. Clearly, um, I love being on podcasts and uh, speaking at conferences. Um, I do like talking a lot about what we're working on at Liberty and kind of where we're at. And I, I'm really big in the, the diversity and inclusion space. I mean, I've kind of jumped into this community straight from a DE&I grant that got me to reInvent, which was a, a huge step up and, and something that I really appreciate. So, you know, I'm, I'm very big in the women who code communities, the women in tech communities. Um, so I love that. So I, I love having that ability and, and kind of adding to the diversity pool in the AWS Hero program as well. So I want to just keep pushing forward on a lot of those things. And, you know, I'm excited to attend re-event again this year, meet some more folks. Uh, I know last year was a little weird. It was still kind of a pandemic year. So it, it was huge, but it's much smaller scale than it normally is. So um, I'm interested to see how this year goes. But yeah, I'm just excited to keep going with, with serverless content. 
Yeah, it was definitely weird. It's a mix of uh, in person as well as virtual. Because you never, as I guess, as a virtual attendee, you never quite you know, get a sense that you're getting the full experience uh, compared to you know, when you used to go in person. One question I've gotten quite a lot from people from the social media is, uh, I mean, how do I become a service hero? Uh, what do I have to do? So, what's your take on that? What was your journey that you know, got you to be invited into the program? Yeah, I think a lot of it is, you know, I just say yes to everything and I like to live on the edge of my comfort zone and always uh, try to be vulnerable. You know, like I, I think that a lot of people get tripped up with this idea of imposter syndrome, like, you know, especially in, in my women in tech communities and some of those more diverse communities is they're like, oh, no, like, I can't possibly be an expert in this. I don't know X, Y, Z or like, you know, why would they want to talk to me or like, you know, I, I'm not sure how to how to get there or whatever. So I, I feel like I just kind of talk to people, you know, like I just walk up to somebody. I'm like, Hey, how's it going? Like, I, I'm not afraid to kind of put myself out there and to just get to know people. Uh, and then it turns into those things like, Hey, you want to jump on my podcast? Hey, we think you'd be great for a conference. And you know, you kind of have to push those feelings of like, maybe doubt or uncertainty aside, or, you know, I know a lot of people have fears of public speaking, which I totally understand too. But, you know, I just kind of push it aside. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'm going to try this, I'm going to do that. Like, you know, the worst that happens is I, I learn from my experiences, right? So uh, I think that that's a, a huge part of it. So I, I just like to say yes to everything. Um, obviously within limits. <laughs> I, I can't have my, my whole calendar taken up all of the time. Um, so I do the best I can to balance things out. But yeah, I, I just like that and putting out, I've, I've done some blog posts and stuff too. I mean, one of my most successful ones was on helping women in tech. And it was literally just because I had a, a nagging thought one night and I, when I was laying in bed and grabbed my laptop and typed something up and it just resonated with a lot of people. So I think we get stuck in our heads a lot sometimes um, and just putting yourself out there and being vulnerable. I've never regretted that. Yeah, and I think oftentimes uh, we, we underestimate what we know and probably overestimate uh, what uh, experts or supposedly experts uh, know because I think a lot of experts uh also just have lots of blind spots uh, no, yeah. everyone's got the same amount of time so there's only so much you can learn right so whatever you know they are really good at something means that they're probably quite weak on something else which you may be quite strong at and that's how we kind of complement each other and even like myself I've been working with AWS for so long that every day I have to google something that I forgot to do or haven't done before and I think it's the same with everybody I know who now, I look up to as experts uh, in their particular domain that uh, do I have to get help from someone somewhere all the time? Right. I mean, I, th I think the same way too. Like, I mean, there's so much out there that you can't possibly know everything. I mean, I even like, I, I like being transparent about those things too. Like, I think it helps a lot, even in the work environment and stuff too. Like when I'm mentoring folks and stuff, like I'm going to be transparent about what I don't know on a call. Like, Hey, that's a great question. I actually don't know the answer to it either. Let's Google it together. You know, I think it helps people feel more comfortable. I mean, even the other day I tweeted out, like I'm a complete newbie when it comes to serverless framework. Like I might be considered a serverless expert, but it's in the things that I know serverless really well. So like, I'm not afraid to tweet out and just be like, Hey, I'm totally new to this. What do, what do you guys think that have used it? Like, you know, I share the knowledge, <laughs> like, you know, I'm working my way there too. So I definitely agree with that sentiment. And you touched on your involvement with the Women in Tech organization or I guess uh, community a couple of times now. Can you maybe tell us a little bit more about uh, what is the community about, what is the goal and uh, what are some of the things that the community is doing? Uh, and also importantly, how can we support the community better? 
Sure. Yeah. So there's kind of two tracks to this. You know, I, I do a lot internally at my company. Um, we have a lot of employee resource groups for um, diversity. I'm really involved in our women in tech group over there. Um, and I actually do a lot of work with our group called Legit, which stands for Liberty Encouraging Girls in Technology. And, you know, pre-pandemic, we actually went around to schools maybe once a month or so and worked with kids one-on-one in, in K through 12, teaching STEM and introducing it early and getting them excited about it. Um, we're just starting to ramp up again, some more in-person things, but we have switched to kind of a virtual model. So I've done a lot of work in that space over there. And then externally, you know, I'm, I'm very involved with women in tech communities. One of the bigger ones is, is Women Who Code. That is global. There's a lot of local chapters for folks to join, as well as specific groups for, for Python, for cloud, for different programming languages, for different tech tools. Um, so I've been very involved over there. They actually were the ones that kind of introduced me to conference speaking. So they were the first kind of group to accept one of my conference proposals and get my foot in the door. Um, and there's been some really awesome folks as, as part of that. A lot of people coming out of boot camps, a lot of people that have been retooled and are coming from non-traditional paths into programming. So I've done a lot with them as well. I think in terms of you know, where everyone can help. Uh, Some of the gaps that I'm noticing specifically in cloud and serverless is one of the things it's not taught at academic levels, like (laughs) at all. Um, They kind of just teach you the basics and you kind of decide, well, maybe I want to do front end, maybe I want to do back end, maybe I want to do security. But I don't think people realize that things like DevOps, that cloud, that serverless, those kinds of things are a path. So I'm noticing in a lot of these communities that are diverse, they're coming from boot camps, they're coming from non-traditional paths, and they're not being taught in those things either. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a six-week to six-month crash course on basics of tech, um, and they don't necessarily know that these are all paths forward. Uh, I know of it because somebody brought me into it. So I encourage, you know, people to to kind of do that and to recognize folks that are in the community that, that might be interested or might do really well in a space like this. Um, so I think education is a huge gap. And just, you know, asking around, I think, like, I didn't know what my capabilities were until somebody points it out sometimes, right? Like, hey, I think you'd be great if you spoke on this or, hey, I really liked this article you wrote or I'm curious about this. You know, you seem to have a lot of expertise in it. Could you send me something on it? You know, I'm I, in one of the articles I've written about how to kind of support women in tech. One of the biggest things on there was to to reach out to those folks and, and ask what they need or, you know, recommend them for things. Um, Because sometimes, you know, we're, again, not confident in our abilities um, or think we're not experts when we really are kind of thing. So that that goes a long way. Okay, so if you can share with me that article you've uh, written, I can also include in the show notes so that uh, everyone else can can go there and uh, see how else we can help uh, the community get bigger and uh, get more attraction as well. Definitely have known a few friends uh, who are involved in the community as well. And over here in the Netherlands uh, and, and also when I was in the UK, there was uh, quite active communities around it. But I always thought that you know, the community is still kind of on the fringe and there could be more active engagement from, say, the organizations that you know, I worked in the past uh, in the more sort of official sort of role. Is that something that, okay, so you mentioned the, the legit program, how can, say, someone who's listening to the podcast today kind of get senior managers to, to think about uh, what can they do to sort of replicate the legit program uh, in their organizations? Yeah, that's a great question um, and something that I've kind of been wanting to, to share out and, and work with folks on. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we started pretty small. We've been around for about six or seven years, uh, our program has. Uh, we actually started out of the seacoast of New Hampshire. And honestly, like it, it worked as an internal network, right? Like you think about it, a lot of people you work with are parents and they have kids in school systems. So you can even just start there. Like, you know, if you have a small group of folks that says like, hey, like, 
you know, once a month, we want to go out and do like a workshop with these kids for like an hour. It's pretty easy to do. And in some cases, it's really like, doesn't even involve a cost. Uh, we use like Hour of Code uh, as one of the tools that we use. It's free. Um, and you can set up kids on their computers. Uh, most schools have some sort of laptop system or, or computer lab that you can kind of go in and, and work with them and just, you know, say we're going to do this activity, pick one out and you walk around and, and help the students out. Uh, we've done that. Um, if you have a little bit more of a budget, we've done like things like micro bit activities, which are just little like kind of hardware things that they can play with. So it, it's super easy to get started if you don't have a budget and just a small group of people that want to help out. Um, I definitely say reach out to parents, family, um, school systems. We've worked with things like Boys and Girls Club, YMCA. Project Lead the Way is another big one that we've worked with. So there's a lot of communities out there that are looking for volunteers and looking for help. Uh, we've partnered with Girls Who Code in the past, partnered with other groups. So um, there are a lot of free resources out there. And most schools and, and companies are, are looking to have industry experts come in. And honestly, students love it too. So I, I just recommend, you know, start small and see how, where it goes from there. That's always a good advice. Uh, always uh, start small and then uh, go from there. Okay, so that's uh, I think that's all the questions I've had. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to sort of mention before we go? Things like when's your next speaking engagement, for instance? Yeah, um, so actually on the same track, um, I will be moderating a panel on imposter syndrome and uh, the importance of allies at the Women Impact Tech Conference out of Denver uh, in July. Otherwise, I've got more webinars, speaking events coming up. Um, I'll be speaking virtually for the Denver group out of the AWS user group out of uh, Denver in the next week, actually. So that will that will be a recording. If you miss it, um, it'll definitely come out. Uh, as well as uh, I organize the serverless Denver chapter. Uh, and we are planning our next event. So hopefully for the end of June, um, I will keep everybody posted on that. If you're not following our Twitter page, make sure you do. Um, otherwise, I will be tweeting out and sharing when our next event is. And you can check us out on Meetup. Okay, I'll put the Twitter handle for the serverless Denver group uh, on the show notes as well. So for anyone else uh, uh, who's in the area, uh, please go and check it out. Um, so Chrissy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and uh, now wish you all the best of luck and hopefully maybe see you in person at the reInvent soon. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me today. It was, it was nice meeting you and chatting with you. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. So that's it for another episode of Real World Serverless. To access the show notes, please go to realworldserverless.com. If you want to learn how to build production-ready serverless applications, please check out my upcoming courses at productionreadyserverless.com. And I'll see you guys next time.